Sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. Yo, it's your girl, Fresh of Love, and you are listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right, welcome back to the KYP Podcast. I'm very excited. Our, our next guest today is Coach Tyler Smith. Uh, coach Tyler Smith is a girls varsity coach uh, from all the way over in Indiana, Crawfordsville High School. Uh, coach, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Going good. It's going good. I can't complain. Um, you know, I'd like to get back on the court soon, um, but uh, there's some powers that be that are a little bit stronger than I am right now preventing that. So we'll see if we're able to get back on. Um, so all the way over in Indiana, I want to talk about basketball, especially prep basketball in Indiana, because uh, Indiana certainly has this um, reputation as being a hotbed of basketball. We, we all know basketball, you know, came from Kansas, and that's where kind of it was invented in America. That's where it was brought over in America. But Indiana, uh, boy, has this this reputation for being uh, such a strong basketball place. So let's talk about first where you played as a player, uh, what that was like, who you played for, and what kind of accomplishments you guys had. Um, which is a big a Division two school, and um, they had just played Illinois the game before us. So it was uh, quite an interesting, uh, you know, first experience of playing, but uh, pretty small school, but um, we had a little bit of success and I played there for three years. Um, who, uh, what did you learn from your coach there? I learned a lot. So I had one coach for the first year and then another coach uh, took over and he was there for a while. Um, he was actually a player there. He was um just a really good guy that, um, you know, showed us the importance of, you know, being on a team, you know, from day one, he talked about how you're going to remember some of the games, but you're really going to remember the relationships you build, uh, you know, the, the lessons along the way, uh, the road trips, the, you know, late night hotel stays. Um, those are things that are going to stick with you. And, um, just the whole mindset of being on a team and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, represent, you know, the team and, and other parts of life uh, while you're part of it. Um, describe the, 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 the style that you guys played. If you had to look back and say how you guys played, what was, what was your way of playing and what was the influence behind that? I think we tried to run on a miss. And then if, uh, if we gave up a bucket, we would try to, uh, you know, run some offensive sets. Um, but we would, try to play to our strengths and, you know, depending on the opponent, uh, try to take away theirs. You know, it's a big thing in, in basketball. If you can, I uh, can't remember who said it was some famous coach talked about if you can uh, basically prevent other teams from their habits, that's when you've got them. And then, so we try to break down film and, and uh, you know, these are the things they like to do. Let's try to take away those things. And then let's try to play to our strengths on offense. Um. Talk to me about then when you finished your playing career, uh, how you got into coaching. Who were your mentors? How did that come to pass? 
yeah, it was pretty early on after play, my playing days, uh, just missing the game. And, and uh, I have some other uh, jobs, you know, you know, being a youth pastor, or other jobs that I would, you know, work with students. So having that background, working with kids, you know, loving the game, you know, really just, I've always considered myself a student of the game, whether I was playing or not. So uh, pretty shortly after my playing days, I got into coaching uh, freshman boys basketball. Um, I've done pretty much every level up through high school. Um, and so I've been with the, uh, the varsity girls team. This will be my second year with them, but I've done a lot of uh, middle school or JV, uh, you know, coaching for both boys and girls over the years. Uh, who were your mentors? Did you have people who, you know, set you up? Did you have coaches that you learned from, um, you know, or did you just say, you know, I, I like basketball and I like kids and I'm just going to throw my name in the hat and see what happens. A little bit of both. I mean, I think the, the coach that I had in college was a good mentor. Um, I relied on him quite a bit for, uh, you know, asking for uh, helping me remember certain drills or even a couple plays here and there. But, um, you know, even if I didn't have that experience, I feel like I would have, I've being a student of basketball and, and watching so much and being, you know, um, you know, a creature of habit of just like looking at watching games and learning from broadcasters even, or other coaches, you know, looking things up. Um, you know, I feel like I would have uh, still got myself into it, even if I didn't have a mentor, but you know, he helped me along the way for sure. Sounds like kind of self-taught, um, you know, sometimes that's a good thing. There are a lot of good coaches. I could think of uh, Skip Prosser, who coached at Georgia Tech. He coached, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Wake Forest, excuse me, and he coached Chris Paul and a bunch of guys, and he was, uh, I think, a military guy, and then someone asked him to coach an elementary school team. He never played, never coached before, uh, Ended up loving it, teaching himself how to play, moved up the ranks and was a high major division one coach for a long time, coached a lot of NBA players. So there certainly is a road for that. There's no blueprint on how to do it. Um, and sounds like you kind of just fell into it and taught yourself what you'd like to learn and, and went from there. Sometimes teaching yourself is better than learning bad stuff or bad habits from other people. Um, talk to me about um, basketball in Indiana, high school basketball in Indiana. When I, when I picture it, you know, I picture Hoosiers, I picture, you know, all those, you know, packed gyms, they shut the gym, they, they shut the town down, or the town will have 500 members, then on game day, it has 1500 people in the town, because everyone drives out to watch the teams play. Is it like that everywhere? Or is it like that just in some pockets? What's high school Indiana basketball, high school basketball in Indiana like? I would say it is definitely still like that in many places. I wouldn't say every place. Um, however, you know, I coached a little bit in Florida and was around a lot of sports while I was there for a few years. Their top schools, a lot of times uh, in Indiana, the two and three A schools will have uh, similar crowds as like the very top in Florida. And so then if you get to the, the top, you know, four or five, six A schools, I mean, it's got like a, you know, not quite a college atmosphere, but in some places pretty close. I mean, there's, I can't remember the number, but I think it was like maybe seven of the top 10 um, most attended uh, high school uh, games in the country or in Indiana. I mean, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, huge and historical uh, gyms still. Um, and just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of interest uh, throughout the state. 
So I want to ask you, you run a girls program and I'm a varsity boys coach myself and running a high school program is a, uh, it's a job all to itself. And I'm not talking about the X's and O's. I'm not talking about practice. I'm not talking about anything on the floor, just running a program. So when you have uh, that many stakeholders and that many people excited about your brand, what do you do within the community? What are some things that you might, some ideas that you might give us out here that you do within the community to spark interest, to keep people involved, to keep sponsors? What are some things that you do to keep that going? I think just being creative, um, you know, using social media and using different, you know, whether it's a giveaways or like um, team building activities, but you involved people in the community and uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to meet people where they're at and, and with what's popular in the world today. So maybe um, your coaching staff or your team um, find, find someone that's good at that stuff and get creative with it. I mean, the more creative, the better, you know, I, I've even seen some teams utilize uh, TikTok <laughs> in good ways as a way to, you know, try to show, you know, Hey, this Friday night, we got this game and they, they put a funny video out, but it's just like, just something um, that people are interested in to, to, uh, to get experience and, uh, you know, get excited about the upcoming game or the season or whatever. So utilize people to their strengths, meet people where they're at and, uh, you know, involve the community as much as you can. Now in a town like yours, I can assume it's a smaller town. Like, do you involve in your fundraising and in your sponsorships with your team, do you involve like the, the, the city council, like the police department, the fire department? I mean, is it like, I, I mean, I, I, give me some examples of how, because if the whole town comes to games, I can imagine that fundraising is not an issue, like that you can get new gear, you can get big buses, you can do all those things. How do you, how do you facilitate that and take advantage of that as a high school basketball coach? Yeah, it's helpful. We actually have uh, one of our uh, assistant coaches is on the police department. So um, we're able to uh, to use that to our advantage. Um, where we are located, there are three county schools. And so we were consolidated and had one, we would just have, you know, crazy interest and, and packed out gyms all the time. But um, so in a, in a way, you're, you're competing as far as uh, you know, even sometimes fundraising and things like that, um, you know, trying to get fan interest, but, um, overall there's pretty good interest in all three. Um, I think, uh, um, getting involved with, uh, if, uh, if a player or people that they know of a local business that they have connections, um, just like anywhere else, it's a lot about networking and like, Hey, this player's family member does this and they can offer this, you know, take advantage of that, you know, make sure with your, with your school that it's, you know, things that are allowed, which fundraising is allowed um, and really, you know, whatever is allowed, go for it. Um, we've had, you know, I think on a yearly basis, the school does a couple fundraisers that are the same. Other than that, it's kind of up to us. And we've done some before with uh, just um, Crawfordsville. Um, they're not, they're not mugs, but they're um, trying to think of the name of them, but there's like a, a custom um, custom design for, um, these, you know, coffee cups or different things, but we turn it into this big event or we do like a shoot-a-thon raising money for X amount of shots made and publicize it, um, get some interest. Um, so really, again, it goes back to being creative, networking, um, figuring out what works best for you. Because I know some programs don't allow certain types of fundraising. So you just got to check and see what's available and what's uh, acceptable, I guess, and uh, go for it. 
Interesting. Talk about your style of play uh, with your team. Does the area and the interest kind of influence your style of play or is it stuff that you've brought from other people? Uh, how would you describe how you play and how you came to the decision to do that? Yeah, I think for me, it's a, it's a mix of not only my playing days, but uh, social media and Twitter to follow a lot of amazing coaches and try to t- take the best from um, what they have to offer that fits our program. So for example, this coming year, we have a lot of guards, not a whole lot of bigs, um, but we, uh, we want to play fast. Um, we want to mix up defenses. Um, towards the end of last season, we really had some success by running three different defenses, but a lot of times on a consistent, you know, three, three possessions in a row, maybe three different defenses, um, just because we're undersized, but we're trying to mix up, you know, each time down the court, I'm yelling one, two or three, and they know what that means. So, you know, they're, they're getting in that kind of mode. Um, so some of it is just, what do you have? Um, I feel like some of the coaches that have been around a long time that have more of a system, they're able to train the youth players coming up. Like this is how we play and you need to know how to do it. But, you know, just being my second year, it's more of a, okay, what do we have? How can we fit that style? So we want to run, especially on a miss. We want to run up the court, um, do some dribble drive offense, different types of offense that lets them go play and make, you know, make decisions, make plays, more of uh, principles, concepts, um, and then mix up the defenses, and including some pressure and try to, as they say, you know, defense creates offense. So we try to try to go with that. But I'd say it's a good mix of, things that I played with and then, uh, you know, different coaches that I've studied over the years. Interesting. It sounds like you have a lot of different ways to do things. Um, I can imagine you would be hard to play against because you have to prepare for um, many different uh, styles of play, different defenses, different offenses. Um, Talk to me about your, what's your philosophy? What is your uh, philosophy on coaching? Why it is you've gotten into it, what it means to you? I'm just a big believe sports can teach you so much about life. Um, they've taught me so many things and, and I've been involved in them for so long that it's almost like it's enjoy it's enjoyable to me, obviously, but it's also like, I want to give back. I want to help, uh, help our students, help our players um, grow on the court, but also in life with little life lessons here and there, you know, it's not like every single day you're, you know, teaching a class on life, but there's always those little moments that you can share and help people. And, and, uh, you know, coaching over the years, I think it's been probably 11 or 12 years, you know, there's some uh, players that I had 10 or 11 years ago that we have good relationships today. And um, that's, that's really cool. I mean, you love, love the, uh, the wins and the stats and and those kind of memories, but um, when you can uh, reach someone and help them in their life, help them succeed, you know, that's, that's uh, really it's all about and it's amazing um so yeah i try to encourage and help the process of growth in more ways than one um tell me why you decided to coach girls basketball you said you started in boys and now you're a girls varsity coach how did that happen yeah i've been i've mostly done uh boys programs i got asked to help be an assistant for um, girls softball for about three years here recently. And then uh, when the position came available, um, I've I've always said I want to coach at the highest level possible. And so for me, you know, to get a varsity position for girls, you know, that's, you know, that's uh, quite an opportunity. Um, 
love doing middle school boys over the years, but at the same time, a lot of times it's just like, you know, you're there, you're with them for three months um, compared to, you know, you know, a high school girl I could from really freshman and up a really able program. That was what was appealing to me. So whether it was boys or girls to be able to run a program um, and just, you know, from the ground up um, youth basketball, and then, uh, you know, getting a chance to even in off seasons, stay up in touch with them, help them to grow, you know, give them workouts, all the things that go with it is what was very appealing to me, whether it was boys or girls. Um, let's talk about on the floor. You mentioned the beginning team building and, and you've also talked about how important those relationships are that you have to this day. What are some strategies that you have for building relationships with your players? You got to have fun. Uh, and I think, I think some coaches have lost sight of that. And it may maybe some coaches are too much on that side. Like it's just about fun. You got to have a good balance. You know, from day one, when I met our team last year, I said, Hey, we're going to, I promise you we're going to have fun. But for me, um, yeah, we, you know, last year we went to the IU Purdue women's game, you know, having team outings, um, once in a while doing competitions where you handpick who the groups are instead of saying, you know, just pick a partner, you know, getting groups of three and they always go to their friends every time, you know, you pick who goes where you're trying, you know, trying to create some team bonding moments, whether it's a drill competition. Um, there's things you can do as long as you're, you're, you know, putting your mind to it and being strategic. Um, they remember those things and doesn't always work out. You know, you can't always force, a team bonding or team friendship, but a lot of times it kind of organically happens when they have those memories that pop up. So, you know, that's one of your, your jobs and goals. I think of a coach as a coach is to uh, create those environments and opportunities for team bonding to actually happen. And having fun is a big part of it. Definitely. Having fun is definitely a part of it. I I've been told, I think there's some truth to it that the higher the level is, the less fun it is. Um, you know, you see how much joy little kids have playing. And then as you get older, there's more pressure. Um, you know, there's more expectations and winning means more. And, uh, you know, and then you get into the college rank, there's money involved and jobs involved. And then the pro rank even more money and more jobs. So it becomes less fun. So keeping it fun um, at the high school level is definitely important. There is a balance between winning, doing everything you can to win and, uh, and also having fun. Um, you know, I try to tell my players, being a coach is my dream job. It's my passion. It's, it's all I've ever wanted to do. But that being said, not every single day is fun. Um, there isn't anything that you do where every day is fun. Um, so sometimes there's just, you just have to get through a day that's not as much fun and other days that you can be a lot of fun. So I think that's a good balance. Yeah. Um, you talked about skill development and maybe other people you watched or other influences you've had. What are some, what are the ways that you go about skill development with your players? I think there's no such thing as over communicating. Um, you know, we want to at the beginning of each year and honestly it carries over into the off season, but here's the things that are kind of non-negotiable for us. You know, here's a list and don't make some crazy like 125 point list, but here are the things that we want to make sure that we are mastering. Um, we actually tell our girls that we want to master the boring. So the, the little things that are, aren't as much fun. And, and I think it helps to communicate that like, Hey, the next couple of drills we're going to do, we may do them almost every day. And I know as a, when I play, these are not fun, but as a coach, I know they're important. So let's make sure we're, we're getting them right. 
um, instead of just like passing time. But, you know, even little things like, you know, high school girls basketball, like um, working on the pivot foot, working on the footwork over and over and over and over um, is just, it goes a long way. So try to master the boring, uh, give our middle school and youth coaches you know, a handful of things, maybe up to eighth grade, we have maybe a list of six or seven things that, you know, by the end of the season, we want them to get this, you know, maybe for sixth grade, it's more, you know, three to five things, but just trying to be, um, you know, very careful and meticulous about um, the things that you want to see as they develop. uh, So that when you get them as freshmen, they're not like trying to reteach everything, but um, let's just be very, very methodical about um, these most important things. We actually have a drill, Again, it's a, I can't remember who came up with it, but like a hockey style drill where uh, if you, um, one of our habits that we're trying to do, if you break one of those habits, we send that, you know, blow the whistle, that player goes to the penalty box for 45 seconds or whatever it is. And all of a sudden it's five on four now because they didn't, you know, reach or they didn't accomplish one of our habits. If another girl does it, same thing, it's five on three now. So it's like a power play of hockey. Um, which also helps, you know, the five on four moments in, in games that happen, it helps that too. But it's just like over and over repeat, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the best player, you got to blow the whistle and like, Hey, we, we have a, uh, um, we have one of our rules is we never fake a backdoor cut. If you're going to backdoor, just go through. So if a girl does that and fakes it and we have a turnover, we blow the whistle penalty box. That's one of our habits. You cannot break that. So that's, you know, you can have fun with it again, but you can, uh, you know, do things like that to try to, you know, mold the development direction you want to go. I see. Um, another thing that you do in your life, aside from your coaching, is something I'm very interested in. You write for the Indiana Pacers and the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, what that entails? Yeah, it's, uh, it's another one of my uh, dream jobs that, uh, you know, growing up, I wanted to be in sports broadcasting or journalism, you know, something involving sports. When I lived in Florida, I realized that the people that live there do not like the teams that I like, and I need kind of an outlet uh, to be able to talk about those teams. So I created a separate Twitter feed that was just dedicated to sports. And, uh, you know, I started blogging and podcasting. So I was able to, in those three years, I was able to build a nice little following of fans. And then when I moved back to Indiana, there was a guy who created this website called IndieSportsLegends.com saw all my stuff and said, Hey, I want you to, would you like to take over the site? Because he just got a job to cover the thunder in Oklahoma. And, um, he was like, I don't want the site today. Would you like to take it over? So that was a really cool opportunity. That was in 2014. So, um, this pacer season, you know, it's basically the seventh season that I've been doing it. Uh, I get to go to all the home games, get, you know, locker room access and get to talk to players, write stories, you know, live tweet, uh, the games, um, for, the Hoosiers, I get to go also to any home game that I'm able to go to. That's a little bit further drive for me, so I try to go to more of the, the big games. And uh, they don't really do locker room access, but they do a, a media room where the coach and a couple players come and talk. Um, but it's been really cool. I had a chance to, you know, when the Final Four was in Indy in 2015, I got to do that, you know, when uh, Duke beat Wisconsin. It was crazy just to be on the floor with Coach K, and, you know, they're playing one shining moment, and I get to be down there. I mean, it's really cool opportunity but um, that's kind of how it all came together Um, and again you know just being involved in basketball so much um, it's pretty pretty wild but uh, 
obviously right now they're, they're in the bubble in Orlando playing, but um, I still get a chance to uh, zoom with players to uh, ask questions and stuff. But um, yeah, it's really, really fun experience. It does sound exciting. Um, that, that's really cool. Uh, let's start with the NBA. What have you learned in working with the NBA players and coaches personally that people who only get to see them on TV might not know? I think a big thing is how unbelievably hard they actually work. Mm-hmm. And some on, on one side of it, people may say, well, they make millions. It's their job. They're supposed to. However, there's a big group of people that watch the games and they think like, for example, you come and watch a game and, and come watch them warm up. And it looks like they're just kind of, you know, screwing around and not taking it seriously. Well, you don't see the two hours before that where they were working their butts off <laughs> getting ready. And now they're just kind of trying to stay loose for the game. Um, the, the work that they put into it, and I'm talking, you know, guys that make the millions or guys that are maybe on a 10-day contract, um, they, you know, it is their job, but, man, they, they really, they care and they go after it. Also, you see some of the same kind of locker room dynamics. You know, if a team doesn't get along, it impacts the play, I mean, at every level. Um, so, I mean, I've, when I first started doing it in the Pacers locker room, it's when they were like the one seed, they're really good, but things started to unravel. And I could like see it before my eyes, like guys at the beginning of the year till now, they're not talking the same. They're not uh, like things they say to the media is not the same. It's kind of going downhill. So then they had a couple of bad years. They bring in the Oladipo and Sabonises of the world and things change. And now they're pretty good again. They're not great, but they're pretty good. And it's, you know, the team chemistry. So how hard they work and how team chemistry matters at every level is a big thing. That is interesting. That that is, I think that is two important things. Um, I know that you are right. There are a lot of people who don't want to believe that basketball or professional athletes work as hard as they do. Uh, and and I've had an experience with a couple, certainly not nearly as many as you. But you're right. That work ethic is is unparalleled. It could even go as far as to say they work harder in their hours that they're at work than a normal person does sitting at their desk or doing whatever it is that they do at their work. Uh, but people don't like to hear that. Um, it is interesting hearing about chemistry. Uh, one would think that, you know, at that level, you just go to work and everyone has a job and you're the best in the world at your job and we should all be able to get along. But to hear that chemistry does make a difference, even at the pro level, is interesting. Um, and how even you, who doesn't travel with the team but is connected with the team, can see um, how, how bad chemistry equals not as good play on the floor. Um, what have you learned from the coaches? Uh, you know, I pick it up different things from different coaches, you know, the, the two coaches that were there in my time, um, are completely different from each other, even though, you know, one was on the same staff, but, um, just to see how they handle, uh, you know, conflict and, you know, Frank Vogel was the first coach and then Nate McMillan is there now, uh, for the time being. And, uh, um, I think one time, uh, in, in one of the press conferences, Frank Vogel, they were like, Hey, Frank, you know, are you, um, I heard a rumor that you may be coaching for your job. Um, what do you think? And his response, I'll never forget. He said, this is the NBA. We're all coaching for our jobs. But like, just that, that like matter of fact, and like every day I'm, I'm fighting for my job and they were good. I mean, they had many good years, went to the conference finals a couple of times, but just like his calm approach, that's, you know, he's, um, he gets fired up a few times, but most of the time he's very calm. And that's the kind of style of, of coaching that I try to bring, um, 
you don't have to be the, the scream and yell type. You know, I think of, you know, Brad Stevens and even, you know, Phil Jackson was that way. Like he's, the players know what he expects, but he's just kind of, you know, quiet most of the time. Um, and then I've seen some more guys who are fiery and, you know, it works for them. And it's not something that would work for me, but um, you, you see their passion come through in kind of a different way. Um, but also like getting up, up close and seeing how some of them will pull a couple of players aside and talk to them and then, um, you know, address the team as a whole, but also have those like side conversations um, has been helpful for me as well. Um, how does a coach work with a, with an NBA player? How does a coach coach an NBA player? Because the perception is, is that the NBA players are, are not as easy to coach as maybe our high school kids are. And, you know, in that it, it, it's more difficult to reach them than maybe it would be your average player. What have you seen the good coaches do to be able to reach their players, regardless of how good they are, how much money they make, whether it's a contract year or, or they're, they're, they're a veteran, whatever it is. What have you seen strategies that those coaches have used? I think coaches that, for one, if they've had a lot of success before, previously, um, sometimes it's easier to say, like, I mean, you can take it or leave it, but my way is successful and, you know, follow it. Um, but for the most part, coaches that understand, even in the NBA, even though they're professionals making millions, there's a person behind each one of those shoe deals and contracts. Um, getting to know them on a personal level, um, I feel like is still the way to go. Because if, uh, I, mean, I don't care if it's LeBron James or a rookie, you know, if their coach has the, is building that relationship always, getting their feedback and letting them know up front, like here, here's where I see where you're at and here's, you know, having those kind of talks, there's no surprises. That's when you can get in trouble. The player's like, I don't know why I'm not playing. And I mean, again, even at the NBA level, um, the more transparent, coach can be the better so there's no no issues and yeah it can change based on you know a guy's contract is coming up um that could be good or bad though because the coach could use that for like hey we need you to do this and if you do then you'll get more touches you'll get more playing time and then that'll help you for your contract but let's not like butt heads over um my usage rate or my my playing time you know if we can't get on the same level of what we expect and what we want from you. Let's help each other out. Um, but just that whole human side of it, that personal, you know, personal touch of it all um, is really, really important, especially for coaches that have maybe newer coaches or haven't been as successful as, uh, you know, some of the hall of famers. Um, there is, uh, there seems to be sometimes a, a battle between players and media and media has a story to tell and they need clicks and they need, stuff to do it and players want their privacy uh, to be respected and they don't want to be trashed every time they have a bad game or miss, you know, throw a turnover, whatever it is. What are some players that you've built your best relationships with over your years? And why do you think that you've had such a good relationship with them? Um, I think there's been a lot of good ones with the Pacers that uh, they, they're kind of known as, you know, really good with the media um, but, but I think it's a, a, a situation where like they do pay attention to what you say about them. Um, mm -hmm. Even those that say, I never read that stuff, but sometimes you see that they've liked, <laughs> you know, like tweets or whatever. It's like, yeah, I think you do read some of that stuff. Um, but like, uh, you know, CJ miles and uh, mm -hmm. Thad young, 
um, those guys who, um, I don't know, there's so much uh, respect from media and them because of how each of them treat each other. Um, and so to be able to interact and, and when you build that trust, then it's like, um, you can go up to them after a game, even if it's a loss and they don't feel like, Oh, here we go. Or they don't like, you know, get upset. They know that it's part of their job. Whereas I've seen some players who have, you know, there's one particular player for the Pacers that was so good with media for so many years, actually two, but the one I'm thinking of, um, there somebody in the media had, had kind of trashed them and in a bad story or whatever well from that point on they completely flipped on media they like sat in the corner and were like you know real you know you could barely hear what they're even saying and eventually media just stopped going up to him even though he was a starter on a, a one seed team um, so I think it's you know the the human side I mean there's you don't want to shy away from writing certain things but my me personally um and it helps the the position I'm in. I, it's not about uh, clicks as far as, you know, getting paid for clicks, but I don't think I would even take a position, me personally, um, that would say, hey, you know, amount of clicks, you get this. And so you need to write a bunch of hot takes. I have my fair share of hot takes, but they're ones that I actually believe in and, you know, have uh, support for, you know, back up my points. But um, I've had you know, I've had uh, some places say like, you need to be more hot takey if you want to join us. I'm like, no, no, thanks. Not doing that. Um, but the whole player and media side of it, it's, you know, similar to coaching player where it's like respect, trust each other. Um, it goes a long way. Talk to me about writing for the Hoosiers. I, I can imagine that's a completely different dynamic. Uh, you said you don't because of the, uh, how far away you are, you don't get to quite go to as many of those games as, as you do the NBA games. And there's a lot fewer home games. But talk to me about what it's like working with the college team and working with the Hoosiers. It's fun. I mean, it's definitely a different dynamic. My favorite days are like a Saturday when uh, I get to go to both. If it's like a IU game at 2 o'clock and then uh, Indianapolis is about 30 or 40 minutes from Bloomington, Indiana. So and then head to a Pacer game that night. Those are my favorite days. Um, but it's definitely different. You know, you probably know, a lot of fans know from, like, uh, there's not near as much uh, transparency in terms of injuries. Like, an IU player could be hurt, and they don't tell you anything. They're like, well, not available. And you're like, okay. So um, it'll probably be even crazier, um, at, you know, COVID being around of not really telling us anything about it, and you're left to guess. Um, and then, uh, as I said, the, the interview process is different. You just get a couple players instead of, you know, get that personal touch, um, you know, with them in the locker room. Um, but it's also uh, an entirely different fan base and how they, you know, the storied Indiana Hoosier program. Um, yeah, there are some Pacer fans that like IU, obviously, but um, it is a, a crazy fan base that even more so than NBA fan bases lives and dies on every shot, you know win one game and we're going to win the national title, lose the next game and fire everybody. You know, <laughs> um, it's even, even crazier at a, at least for them, for that level um, with such a storied program where they haven't had much success, you know, since, you know, some of the glory years, but I like how it's different. And uh, it's, uh, it's interesting to be able to get a chance to do both. How do that, how does that fan base influence the team? I mean, um, you know how, how rabid they are and how passionate they are. How does that influence the day-to-day -day dealings of the coaches and the players? 
it's a big influence for some people. It's a deterrent if they if they see they're losing some games and, and the coach is just getting ripped apart or a player is not playing well. Um, you know, they may, they may not want to go there for those reasons because it's maybe too much pressure. At the same time, a lot of people thrive on that and they see that. Um, and, and by the way, I, I would never advocate for, you know, tweeting a 17 year old to tell them where to go to school. Um, you know, stay out of their mentions, let them live their life, you know, but um, when a when a recruit says like, "Hey, here's my final three, and you see like fifty to a hundred people instantly put like an IE flag, like sometimes that because they're not like harassing the kid, but sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, these people are crazy about their team, and I would love to be part of that. So it can hurt sometimes, but I think overall it helps um, just to have that history there. How has working with these programs, um, the the pros and the colleges? How has that helped you as a high school coach? It's helped a lot. Um, I think there's just so many things that you can, you can take. Um, you know, if I'm coaching when I'm still, you know, when I'm like 60 years old, I want to still be someone who's learning and is still a student of the game. So I can be at the games and, and uh, see a warm-up drill that I like or uh, a side out-of-bounds play that like, hey, that's going to work. Um, but just soaking up every possible thing from coaches' interviews and what players say and um, just see how coaches and players and fans interact. Um, also, when I'm at the games and, and get to sit with other media members, you know, be a sponge for them too. Like, hear what they're saying. Um, many of them have coached and, and are just love basketball as well. So, you know, try to pick their brain any chance I can and just never want to be that, that person who's like, well, I've got it all figured out and I'm going to, uh, you know, I don't need to learn anything new. I've got it all covered. Um, just be a sponge and soak up every chance you get from these people. Um, mo- most importantly in your life, you're a man of faith and you talked about working in the church and doing different things in churches. How has your faith influenced you as a coach? Uh, it influences everything that I do. Um, and it's something that earlier in life, I tell people that I, like if there was a pie chart of my life, I would always, I'd have these different categories and Christian was like one of them. I would say like, I'm an athlete. I'm also a Christian. I'm also this. And now in my life, it's like Christian is the entire pie. <laughs> and then other categories kind of fit in. Um, so I, I, you know, all these different things that I get to do, whether it's being in youth ministry or writing a book or sports writing, coaching, all that stuff, I feel like they all have a purpose. And I love getting a chance. I love the church job, but I also love these other opportunities that I have that are not necessarily Christian. You know, I don't coach at a Christian school. The Pacers are obviously not a Christian organization. <laughs> um, so getting a chance to have my faith influence those things, all the you know, new people that I get to meet along the way, um, and just little gospel touches here and there that I, I get a chance to do. Um, you talked about coaching in a public school. How do you express your faith? How do you show your faith and influence on kids in a public school setting? I think just always being mindful that especially when people know who you are and what you stand for, um, they're going to notice if you slip up or make mistakes 
So when you do make mistakes, own up to them. Um, but just be, be real, transparent, be the same person always, even if you're, you know, upset over a game or, you know, how you treat people, how you treat officials, how you treat opposing players and coaches. Um, and, and honestly, just uh, by having those relationships already in place, they see, you know, they're going to notice the things you post. They're going to notice, uh, again, how you treat the people that, are, that normally get mistreated. You know, like it's just kind of our culture to here come the referees and you're like already mad at them. They haven't even made a call yet. <laughs> uh, it's just like, oh, I'm going to yell at them the first, you know, I'm going to be biased towards my team and yell at them no matter what. Um, but you know, how's the coach act? How's the coach treat them? Um, and, you know, just fr- trying to find little opportunities. One of our team building things we did last year was a thing where we packed meals where we could feed uh, thousands of people. And so without even coming out and saying like, Hey, we're doing this because, you know, they're a Christian organization and, you know, they, they know, they can notice those kind of things that you do. Um, and so just try to find those little opportunities here and there, but it's a big influence. Um, do you like, do your, how do your players know that you're a Christian? I mean, I mean, giving back to the, uh, to the hungry is great. Um, you know, not cursing or yelling at people or, you know, treating people right. That's terrific. How do they know that? I mean, what do they, I mean, do you just tell them, you know, do you say, you know, I'm a Christian, here's my faith. How do you, how do you do that? Uh, well, I mean, just when I get the, you know, got the job, you know, it was even, you know, in the, the local newspapers and, um, you know, they started adding me on social media and all this stuff. And I'm, you know, very transparent about where I stand on that. And then even being introduced, like the new coach is also a youth pastor here at uh, New Hope Christian Church. Um, so they know that right away. And, uh, you know, there's, there's little things that come up um, in conversation. Um, another one of my assistants is also a youth pastor. And, and so we, you know, we're free to talk together about certain things that, you know, the team will overhear. And, um, and then, you know, some of the girls will come up and ask certain questions about church related things, activities, uh, current events, things like that. Um, so just being transparent without, you know, you know, doing anything that would upset somebody for like, Hey, I'm going to preach at you all for practice today, you know, um, being mindful of that, but also being very open about it. I think that's, I think that's a good tool. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian as well. And I've been teaching in a public school now. I just finished my 14th year and you know, it's, it's once a student brings something up, then it's kind of like the floodgates can open. You know, once a student asks about, well, what do you believe in or what church do you go to or why do you do this and that? But living out a certain way um, is, is definitely, you know, they, they, they say you'll know you by your fruits and the way that you act and the way that you treat people and the things that you do. So I think that that is, is a good, you know, is a good barometer because, you know, in your youth ministry, that's your job to talk about that. But in a public school, and, and we won't get into this conversation, but rightfully so, it's good that you can't talk about your religion at that level because then everybody can and then it's a you know then it's really confusing and so you know it's not good that Christians are held back but it's good that there's regulations that everybody have to follow maybe that's the best way I can put it because there's a lot of ideas out there that are different than than what you and I believe and so having that having those those barriers I think are a good thing so I I like what you say in there what tools do you have what are some things that Christian coaches can look at um, that can help them in their everyday coaching and life that you, that you've uh, figured out that have helped work with you? 
anything by John Wooden. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a incredible, he was a, just an incredible Christian man. And honestly, you could put him up there as, you know, one of the greatest coaches to ever live. Um, his book, uh, John Wooden's Pyramid of Success, has been really influential, both from a basketball and faith uh, standpoint. But there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, men and women of faith um, that are in coaching. Um, I think the more of them that you can follow um, and learn from, the better. There's so much on YouTube and Twitter. Um, you can just kind of get little ideas of how they go about their business, why they're such a influence in the basketball and the faith world. Um, and just, uh, you know, you gotta, gotta have, you know, surround people, surround yourself with people. It doesn't mean your whole staff has to be the same faith as you, but, uh, at least have somebody that you can talk with and, and share, uh, joys and frustrations with. That's a big thing as well. What are some ways that you grow as a coach? Um, some ways that you, things that you do in your life that you say, I'm doing this and this is going to make me a better coach. Yeah, I think. Um, I know I've said it before, but just, uh, you know, I, it's one of the ways that I use social media for good is I, um, if you go to my profile and, and look at who I follow, there's so many coaches on there that I'm learning from. Um, you know, I see like new, new drills, new plays, new concepts on a daily basis and, uh, just following those and then figuring out what's going to work for us. Um, but also, uh, working with the right team. I love the, the coaching staff I get to work with. We get a bounce ideas off each other um, and just, you know, encourage one another through the ups and downs of the season. Um, and then again, as I said, being a sponge. So, you know, the, I know not everybody has the um, experiences that I may have with like sports writing, but wherever you go, you know, have those conversations, you know, it could be a, you know, your, your season could be in the winter, but, you know, say it's April, Thursday in April. And you're like, Hey, I want to grow as a coach. Um, there's clinics on, online there's uh other coaches that are willing to share their stuff and if you need to take notes you know have a file where you're just packing notes away and use that time to prepare for the grind of the next season uh you wrote a book um talk to me about your book what it's about how people can get it yeah so it just came out in, in june uh, it's called searching for seven and there is a lot of sports stuff in there um, through my experiences. Um, but basically it's a, it's kind of a playbook for how to look for God seven days a week. Um, it's a quick read. Every chapter is short, a lot of stories, uh, a lot of scripture. Um, yeah, I wanted to combine my writing experience with my ministry experience and just all the crazy things that have, that I've been able to go through in life. And, uh, um, just that idea of, you know, we, a lot of people only look for God or only hear from God on Sundays. Um, but I want to, I want to look for him every aspect of life, life all seven days a week. And, uh, so you can find it at searching for seven.com. Uh, you can also, it's on Amazon and, uh, Barnes and Noble and Target and some other places, but, um, that website has everything you need and, and also a blog, social media, different ways you can connect with me if you'd like to. And what are some other ways if, if coaches want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, I think, uh, probably my Twitter account, uh, Tyler Smith underscore I S L. Uh, you can, you can find me on there. Um, actually, uh, don't know if you're familiar with the, the Christian author, Bob Goff, but uh, I pulled a, a, a play out of his 
playbook and put my phone number at the end of my book uh, just because I want to encourage uh, people to reach out. Um, so also though on searching for seven.com, there's a, there's a uh, link where you can send me a direct message. Um, so even if you don't want to buy the book, but want to connect with me, you can definitely utilize that. Well, very good. Well, coach, um, I'm going to get that book and I'm going to read it. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to follow the Crawfordsville high school girls varsity team in Indiana. Coach, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksemato at ymail.com.